Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We're going to read together this morning a, a chunk of Scripture. I don't typically do this, reading an entire chapter, but I feel that uh, today, as we look at this passage in 1 Peter, that it is going to be advantageous. Now, I'm not going to put the verses up on the screen, but if you want to just kind of note it, and we'll come back to it in a few moments, we're going to look in 1 Peter chapter 1. That's over near the book of Revelation, so if you're looking for it, start from the back and go to the front rather than the front to the back. It'll be quicker that way. Um, and since, hey, let me give you a hint. If you ever see a book of the Bible that starts with first, like First Peter, First Thessalonians, you know, First Chronicles, something like that, typically means there's a second one, sometimes a third one. And so if you find, if you find one with a different number in front of it, just you're in the right place. So you're getting pretty close. I want to read this today. If you don't have your Bibles and don't want to follow along with me and, or you're, you're not doing so at home, I want you to listen. And sometimes when we listen, we need to, to focus and, and avoid distractions. And so you, some of you may just want to close your eyes and just hear God's word this morning. And so let's hear God's word in 1 Peter chapter 1 today. It begins this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect ex exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. Remember when we talked about the Trinity? Here it is, just scattered out throughout entire, all Scripture. May, God, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that, you, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see, not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, 
preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one man's, each man's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like, the, like that of the lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown from the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Father God, as we hear this, it's like standing beneath a crystal clear, cold waterfall. It just pours on us. And Lord, it's hard for us to soak it all in. But we want to be bathed in it, surrounded by it, filled with it. This eternal truth that you give to us tells us of your greatness, of your glory, but it also says, Lord, that we share in that through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we spend some time in some of these verses this morning, we do ask that you would speak to us and that we would hear you and that having heard, Lord, we'd be changed. So, Father, have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, over the last many months, we've been in a series of messages called How Firm a Foundation. As we've looked at some of the scriptural truths that undergird our faith. And we began by looking at the Bible. Then we spent a good deal of time looking at who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, now we've come to the point where we're, we're in the midst of studying humanity from a biblical perspective. Where have we been over the last few weeks? Well, we, we've said and we've affirmed what Scripture says that we are a unique creation of God. Every person, a unique creation of God made in His image. Last week, we affirmed that we have inherited a fallen nature from Adam and Eve. But we ended that, we ended that message with a note of hope. And it's that hope that we want to focus on today. And so let me just put this statement out in front of you because this is what we're rejoicing in and this is what the Word shared with us this morning. In Jesus, 
we're redeemed. In Jesus, we're redeemed. Now, we don't typically use that word redeemed very much. It used to be many, many moons ago that when you went to a grocery store, they would give you these things called S&H green stamps. Who remembers that? Okay, all right. Well, some of you are going, what? Okay, so they don't do this anymore. But basically, S&H green stamps, depending on how much you bought, they'd, they'd reel off those S&H green stamps on that roller, and they'd give them to you. And then you'd take those things, and you'd have to lick them and stick them. All right, and they, you could get these books, and you, you filled up pages with these green stamps. And then you saved those books till later until you were ready to cash them in. Because here's what you could do with those green stamps. If you had enough books... You could go down to, literally, this is what it was called, the Redemption Center. That'd be a good name for a church. You could go to the Redemption Center and you could turn those books in and redeem them for an iron, for a ping pong table, whatever it was, depending on how many books you had, you could trade that in. And it was a pretty cool kind of thing, okay? Uh, I don't think that's done anywhere in the world right now, but that's the way it was done. And so then the word redemption was right there, okay? We don't really focus on the word redeem very much. So I, I think it would be good for us to kind of maybe get a working definition of what it means uh, when we say redeem. Redeem means ransom, uh, to ransom or to rescue someone or something, thus bringing that someone or something back to its proper place. Now, when you went into redeem, you traded in your books, you brought that toaster home. And it became yours. So this is, this is kind of the word redeemed. So we've got this in our minds. And with that in our minds, I want us to hear again a portion of that scripture that I just read. So 1 Corinthians, oh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 and 25 and spend a little time there this morning. So I'm going to reread these. But we'll be together in it. And it'll be on the screen for you. Knowing that you were ransomed. Now, I want to let you know, some of your translations may say redeemed. And that's because it's the same words, just translated as ransomed or redeemed. And we'll get to that in a moment. From the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like the grass and it's all its glory, like the flowers of grass. The flower withers, the, excuse me, the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this, this word is the good news that was preached to you. Well, obviously, we can't even plunge the full depths of these. But what we can see here is we think about who we are as people, uh, redeemed people. We can, we can learn something from this. It can help us to understand who we are in Christ. And the, and the first truth from this that I want to share with you that comes right out of the text is this. You were ransomed or you were redeemed. Knowing that you were 
ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ransom. We understand ransom, don't we? That's a word with which we are familiar. The price of redemption. It was typically paid in common currency. Silver, gold, whatever, the, whatever was of value. That was what was used in order to, to pay off a ransom or to redeem someone who was sold into slavery or property that, that some family member had squandered. And you, you buy it back. You bring it back. We were redeemed. We were ransomed. But we were not ransomed with silver or gold, which interestingly enough, Paul calls, excuse me, Peter calls perishable. Now we don't think of precious metals as being perishable, right? I mean, in fact, it's the exact opposite. When, when someone's predicting hard economic times, they say, hey, put your money in silver, put your money in gold, put it in something that Will may fluctuate in value, but will always have value. We really don't really think about it as being perishable. For instance, if if you know if your house burned down, but you had gold, it might melt, but it would still be there, and it would still be gold, and it would still have value. So we don't think of it like that. But friends, there is there's coming a time. When all the money in the world will be absolutely worthless. You do not show up at heaven's door with a checkbook. There is no no one there. Peter's not there saying, okay, let me tell you what the price of admission is. And you have to pay that price of admission before you enter. It doesn't, when you die. It doesn't matter if your bank account is zero or has lots and lots of zeros behind that number. It won't matter at all. It all perishes. My roommate in college and I, whenever we got something new, we'd always be, you know, because we were in the encouraging kind, like Barnabas. We were just the encouragers. We'd come in with something new. We'd be excited about it. And we'd just look at each other and say, it's going to burn. And it was just that subtle reminder, don't get too wrapped up in your stuff because it's perishable. And what he says here is we weren't redeemed, we weren't bought with silver or gold or any other, anything that have value in this world at all. We weren't bought with any of that, but instead we were bought, we were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. We've said it over and over and again. We, we miss it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten. We miss that. That's exactly what Peter's talking about here when he says that we were redeemed or we were ransomed. Not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus There are many in the world who may be considered worthless by the world's standards. Actually, you may have looked at someone in your life and said, you know, that person's just worthless. But we think about this world and it's filled with the, the poorest of the poor and 
the weakest of the weak. And yet, the poorest of the poor, the weakest of the weak, the people that you and I could possibly consider to be worthless, what is their worth to God? They are worth the very Son of God shedding His blood on a cross, paying the price for their sins so that they could enter into a relationship with God the Father. Imagine that. People that we would discard, discount. Jesus died for them too. You see, I... I and I'm in this category too. I, somehow when we look out at the world and we see how, how bad some people are, how disruptive, how, how cruel, how heartless some people are, we somehow have this idea that we are more deserving of what Jesus did than they. That somehow <laughs> we had a leg up on them. We were a little closer to the gates of heaven. That Jesus had to pay a discounted price for us. But what does God's word teach us? We, we looked at this last week. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We all start in the same place. As sinners, separated from God, with no hope of heaven. No hope. We can't fix it. We can't erase it. We can't cure it. This is where we all Began. And yet, Jesus gave himself anyway. Paul reminds us for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay? For the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person. For, for, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every once in a while we get glimpses of this. A number of years ago we had our kids in the back seat of the car and we were traveling in the mountains of North Carolina, which are uh, roads are kind of curvy, Right? And we had we'd fed our kids like goldfish and gummy worms. A word of advice to parents and grandparents, don't do that. Because as we swerved around those roads and they were gobbling down goldfish and gummy worms, it got a little tough on their stomachs. And the next thing I know, we, our daughter is crying in the back seat and I glance over to see She's a mess. So we pull over the car and I run around to her side and I open the door and I go, Nancy, you better take care of this. 
we've got this weird idea that somehow we deserved what we get. We, we grew up in church. We haven't, we haven't broken all the Ten Commandments. We've been okay. We were, the, we were the good kid. We weren't the black sheep of the family. That somehow what Jesus did for us wasn't as significant than, than what he's doing in, in prisons right now when he's redeeming those who are, who are there on a murder charge. That somehow we've got a leg up. And I want to tell you to wake up. Because that's untrue. None of us deserved anything we've gotten from God. It is all by grace. The Bible says you were bought with a price. And that price was the same whether you're considered worthwhile or worthless. It's with the blood of Jesus. And so that first truth we want to draw out of here is that we're redeemed, we're ransomed. Never forget that. Never forget the price paid for you. And the second truth we want to pull out of this today is that you are purified. Look again at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, when we read this, if we read this completely, this is all we had, we would come to the conclusion, hey, wait a minute, that means that somehow by my obedience to God's word that, that I can purify myself. And I want to I wanna, I wanna tell you right now, that's not what this means at all because the rest of Scripture would shout at you, no, 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 don't, don't interpret it that way. For instance, let me just give you one verse, Romans verse three, chapter 3, verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, you can't be good enough. You can't earn it. You can't purify yourself. We are justified. We are purified. We are made righteous in God's sight, not by our own efforts, but by trusting in the completed work of Jesus on our behalf. So then what does verse 22 mean? We need to understand that our obedience does not earn our salvation, but is instead the fruit of our faith. It grows out of who we are in Christ. Our, our genuine faith produces ever-increasing obedience as we bring our lives in line with the revealed will of God for us. In other words, it's not an outside-in kind of purification. It's an inside-out purification. And I would say, and I want to say this, not, not in an accusing way, but, but I want you to seriously consider this. If your faith in Jesus has never changed you at all, you really may want to rethink your faith. How in the world, how in the world can your faith, that if God comes to live in you, how in the world could that not impact your life? I have a goddaughter that has brought in uh, a couple of foster kids into the home. They didn't have any kids. Now every time I look at their uh, Snapchat pictures, it's never about them. It's about those kids. 
It's completely taken over their lives. If that happens with kids, what in the world should happen when Jesus decides to move in? Should it not change everything? Now, I'm not talking about you living a perfect, sinless life. We know God's Word tells us that we all stumble in many ways. But I'm talking about having a new direction of thought, a new direction of our affections, and a new direction of our behavior. A Christian's life ought to show that Jesus is alive and that he's alive in us. It ought to show that. We are justified in Christ. We are purified by the precious blood of Jesus shed for us. And we are being purified. We are being purified and refined by God's spirit in us. That's how we show the reality of our faith. I've said it before. Let me say it again. If all your neighbors know about your faith in Jesus is that your car is missing on Sunday morning, there may be something wrong. If that's all they see, if the sum total of your faith in their estimation is that you go to church, Paul makes it clear in verse 22 that sincere brotherly love, loving one another earnestly from a pure heart is evidence that we have a pure heart. And that's one of the incredible things about the church of Jesus Christ. Now realize we have just come through and, and, and are still in the midst of, quite honestly, a very divisive time in our nation where people have drawn political and social battle lines. And there's some important issues that we need to take stands on there. We need to be firm on those things. But can we still love our brothers and sisters earnestly from a pure heart, even if they would disagree with us. Because Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so we've seen here so far that you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, you're purified by the completed work of Jesus that produces a pure love in you, and the third truth that I want us to glean from this today is that you have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been born again. You've been born again. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We talked last week and a little bit this morning about the, our fallen nature, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses before coming to faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus put it bluntly in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he says... You must be born again. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, that person is born again. He receives eternal life. 
That's what he talks about when he says it's not from perishable seed, but imperishable. It is eternal life. In fact, next week, we're going to, to look into eternity. So I'm excited about that. And we also, when we come to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to indwell us, to empower us. And we do none of it. We earn none of it. We, we, we have, we've gained none of it for ourselves. It is all by grace. It is not achieved. It is received. Because if we had to earn our own way to God, if I had to earn my own way to God, I would still be dead in my sins and trespasses and without hope. I just feel burdened about this. Because there's so many people, and Billy Graham said the same thing, there's so many people who sit in church services week after week after week after week after week, and they're going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they're going to hear not, well, welcome, well done, my good and faithful servant, but instead, they're going to hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. What an awful thought that that me counting on my own salvation, me counting on my own goodness, me counting on my own goodness would lead to Jesus saying, I'm sorry, you don't belong here. In a world filled with bad news, and we have a world filled with bad news. This is the good news. This is great news. This is, this is the best news possible. You see, with or without the coronavirus, death, death is everywhere. Some, sometimes I just go and park in the cemetery, not because I've got some kind of weird fixation with cemeteries, but because I need the reminder that life is temporary. Because as we're going through our day, right, I mean, we don't think about, well, you know, I could die this afternoon. That, that, that's not really on the top of our minds. And so to, to go and to walk around and to, to look at the, the dates on the headstones, to recognize, oh, here's someone that lived to be 87 years old, oh, here's someone that didn't make it out of childhood. Here's someone who was taken in the prime of life. It is a reminder that death is everywhere. It's part of our human condition. We are born, we live a certain amount of time, and then we die. <laughs> but I thought I said this was good news. It is good news. And it's the only reason that I can stand by a graveside at the burial of a brother or sister in Christ and give any hope at all. In fact, we're told in God's word that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Not that we don't grieve, not that we don't hurt, but that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. God's word gives us hope beyond the graveyard. 
In the book of Revelation, I read there a little earlier uh, before I started, chapter 20, beginning with verse 11, we read, Then I, I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Can you imagine that? That God's glory is so great that earth and sky just have to get out. There's just no room. And I saw the dead. Now, I can't imagine this because the dead of all humanity, that is, the, the numbers are just staggering. And I saw the dead, great and small, those who were something in life and those who were nothing in life, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the, the book of life. Now, my, my interpretation is the books that were opened is that each of us has our own book. Our own autobiography. We've written it. You're writing it today. You're writing about the times when people see you and you do those great things and they pat you on the back and tell you how good you are. You write it on your bad days in the dark when no one sees you. And you do things and say things and think things that you hope no one else knows. All being written down. Every idle word, every fleeting thought, every act, good or bad, written down. Gosh, if I stopped this sermon now, this would be depressing. But it doesn't stop. Because another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they'd done. So you got all those books. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done. Man, this is getting more depressing all the time. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And listen to this. Get this. Hear this. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a book that trumps all other books. There's a book that makes the book of your life completely irrelevant. All that is written in there that you would be ashamed for anyone else to know. All that is written in there that, that you would not want displayed before the world. As a matter of fact, you don't even want to think of it yourself. And yet, <laughs> there's another book. The book of life. And those whose names are found there 
have their other book thrown out of court. And so I have a simple question for you today. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If not, there's one way and only one way it can be there. For the names in that book are the names of all who trusted in Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we come to the end of this service and we're, we're just kind of struck by your word, Lord, I want to come to those right now who are, who are feeling some anxiety and some, some fear about this. I just want to pray by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would confirm to those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life that they have a security not by their own goodness, but by the goodness and the grace of Jesus. But I want to pray for those this morning who don't know or who do know and they don't like the answer. Young or old, male or female, Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't really matter. Apart from Jesus, none of us have any hope. So God, I pray today by the power of your spirit, you bring deep conviction on those who need Jesus. And they would not walk but run to him. Because this I know from personal experience. When I turn to you, God, when I trust in your son for my salvation and not in myself, I'm set free, made new. I'm redeemed. And Lord, I pray for that, that person right now sitting in this building, watching on their television or on their computer, maybe listening in our headphones. Lord, I pray that this moment they would turn from sin and self and turn to you, putting their trust in Jesus as their only hope of salvation, abandoning sin, abandoning self, and casting themselves totally on you as their only help as our only hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to know more about what it means to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, or maybe God has brought conviction on your heart, and, and today you say, I, 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 need, I need to settle this issue then I want to invite you to respond. You can do it in, in a few ways. If you're here this morning, if you remain where you are and just, just, just I'll find you, you can come to me, either one. I'd love to talk with you about what it means. And we have others who would, would love to take the time to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. If you would rather have a less personal contact or maybe you're not with us right now in the building, 
then there's a couple other ways you can let us know. You can send us a, an email to mynextsteps@gracefellowship.ws, and by doing that, we will be ready to respond to you. Or you can send a text message, 706-703-4477. Just text the name Jesus to us. We'll know what you're talking about, and we'll get back with you. This is really, in the end, all that'll matter. What do you need to do with it? And my fellow believers, who do you need to tell about it? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and that you didn't just love us from afar, but you sent your son. And he didn't just come to tell us how to be good, but he came to live a perfect life, to die a criminal's death, to pay the price for us so that we might declare in Christ, I am redeemed. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you again very, very soon.